This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee today. I'm your host, Robbie Lashua, and I'm here distance with my co-host, Tyler Hurley. What's up, Tyler? Yes, what's up? We're so excited about this episode because it's a little different, something Mm -hmm. that we haven't done in the past, but we have some great content ahead of us today. I'm very excited to get into it. So... I mean, there's just a lot to break down with uh, as far as at- enemy attestation with Jesus, yeah. and uh, we're just super excited. And then we have a, also have a p- pretty interesting coffee tip for you guys coming up soon. Yeah, it's going to be good. Well, last week you were on vacation in That's the right. amazing, beautiful land of enchantment, Kansas. Well, yeah, that's true, right? <laughs> How was it, man? <laughs> Did you have a good trip? You were on vacation too, so it's kind of interesting. So it's like... You were on vacation, I'm on vacation, and now we're uh, doing this over Skype, right? Yeah, so. we're doing it over Skype. Well, and, and the reason, just to let, you know, if you're watching this, you know, yeah. you're seeing that we're not in the same place. Most people are listening to it. But um, the reason is I've been sick for like the last week, and um, my wife and I were trying to figure out what it is. She had it. I have it. Um, I'm feeling a ton better today than I have the last week, but just with, uh, COVID and everything and infections, we didn't want to, I didn't want to put you at risk, Tyler. And so, yeah, you're welcome. So we're just doing it, uh, (laughs) doing it from home, uh, today, but it's going to be good. But today, uh, you've got the coffee tip for us. So since this is Christ culture and coffee, let's go ahead and start off with a coffee tip before we get into the details. Yes. So this is more of a coffee fact rather than a coffee tip. And now it may sound like something that's like, well, duh, like everybody kind of might know this already, but it's very simple. However, I never really thought of it this way. But in fact, a coffee bean is actually a seed. It's not actually a bean. Now, that's something that's interesting because in a way I'm like, oh, yeah, well, duh, because I know that that's how they plant coffee trees to get grow more coffee and stuff and so it makes sense that that's the seed they use the actual cherry because what happens when coffee grows it comes out in these little cherries and they have to rip it open to get out what we call the bean however that's actually the the same thing that they use as a seed to plant more coffee trees okay that makes sense yeah so what's really interesting is a, a coffee bean actually isn't a bean at all it's in fact, it's a seed, but it just shaped like a bean. We refer to it as a bean. Uh, it just, I don't know, it's just a cultural thing. It is interesting, yeah. Happened. man. I, maybe I should start calling it coffee seeds. Yeah, and well, what's interesting is uh, uh, something similar to that too. Like I've heard before that um, with strawberries, mm-hmm. the, the actual fruit aspect of it is the little seeds that are around the strawberry itself. That's what is considered the fruit which i thought was interesting and so it's weird how there are certain uh vegetables fruits and i guess in this case seeds that grow differently than what we refer them to so yeah that's the coffee tip or fact i guess for today it's that coffee beans are actually seeds which again sounds so simple you're like well duh yeah they're seeds but I never thought of it that way. Dude, so. that's great because like now we should we should go to like a coffee shop and order. Hey, do you, do you guys have any chocolate covered espresso seeds? We should yeah. <laughs> we should ask yeah. for that, right? Espresso <laughs> do you have seeds. any co- chocolate covered seeds? They'll be like, what are you talking about? What the heck, man? Yeah, I, it doesn't. I mean, to me, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I mean, well, it does, and it doesn't because it's like, yeah, it's 
they are seeds. It's what grows the coffee trees. Yeah. However, we've referred to them as beans forever. So that's so funny. That's yep, interesting. That's, that's a good point, Tyler. Coffee seeds. Yeah. Let's start. I'm going to start referring to them that just here at my house and see what my wife thinks. Yeah, are you grinding fun. the coffee seeds? Yeah, that'll be, <laughs> that'll yeah, be yeah, interesting. Right, right? So. Get that real grind. I don't know. It gives you a different perspective on them too, thinking them as seeds rather than beans. It's just, yeah. I don't know. No, it does. That's true. There you go. Cool, man. Coffee tip for today. Coffee beans are actually coffee seeds. I like it. Well, hey, let's get into uh, the the meat of the discussion today. So we're in the middle of a series on New Testament reliability, right? How do we know that the New Testament is reliable and uh, it's trustworthy? And uh, on our first podcast with this series, we talked about a whole bunch of different criteria. Remember, there needs to be multiple independent sources. There needs to be early reports. Uh, there needs to be embarrassing details. Uh, and one of the things that uh, historians look for to make sure something is valid in, in history as a, as a historical act or as a manuscript is, is there enemy attestation? Do, do people's enemies agree with certain things they're saying in their text about what happened? And so today's episode is all about what outside of the New Testament from the first hundred years after Jesus' life, what uh, what evidence do we have from non-Christian sources about the life of Jesus? And so that's what we want to dive into today because typically if your enemy is agreeing with you about some things, those things probably happened. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And that's clearly the case what happens with the story of Jesus and yep. his death and crucifixion. So that's really what we're going to be focusing on today. So we're super excited for that. Yeah, it's going to be cool. So let's get started. And um, we're starting off with the best uh, the best non-Christian source for Jesus's life. And that is a man by the name of Josephus. All right. Josephus was born about AD 37, uh, and his dad was a priest in Jerusalem named Matthias. All right. So uh, his dad and he fought against the Romans, but eventually they get defeated by Rome. And what happened to Josephus was that he actually made friends with Vespasian who later became emperor, and they, uh, because of their friendship, Vespasian made Josephus his court historian. So this is like a real rags-to-riches kind of story for Josephus. So he becomes the court historian for the Roman emperor Vespasian, and then he's writing a whole bunch of histories. He writes uh, the histories of the Jews, he writes antiquities, he writes a whole bunch of different um, works, and there are two places where Josephus mentions Jesus, all right? So we want to look at, at a couple of these. The first one comes from Antiquities of the Jews, uh, 20, verse 200, and this is what uh, Josephus says. He says, Having such a character, Ananus thought that with Festus dead and Albinus still on the way, he would have the proper opportunity. Convening the judges of the Sanhedrin, he brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ, whose name was James, and certain others. He accused them of having transgressed the law and delivered them up to be stoned. So here we have Josephus mentioning Jesus, who was thought to be the Christ, who was called the Messiah, whose brother's name was James. All right, so that's that's pretty interesting. You've got a couple of facts here that Jesus, who was supposedly called the Messiah, and he had a brother named James. The Bible 
uh, completely agrees with these facts. Jesus had a brother named James and Jesus was called the Christ. This is the right right time period for it to be happening in. And uh, Josephus uh, gives us credibility for those things uh, being in Scripture. Now, the second place that Josephus talks about Jesus is a little controversial, uh, and I'll explain why. First, let me read to you what the quote says in manuscripts we have, and then I'm going to tell you why some of this quote probably isn't original. So this is what the quote says. This comes from uh, Antiquities of the Jews, 18, verses 63 through 64. It says, At this time there appeared Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one should call him a man. For he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of people who received the truth with pleasure. And he gained a following both among many Jews and among many of Greek origin. He was the Messiah. And when Pilate, because of the accusations made by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross, those who loved him previously did not cease to do so. For he appeared to them on the third day, living again, just as the divine prophets had spoken of these and countless other wondrous things about him. And up until this very day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not died out. Now you hear that quote, Tyler, and you think, whoa, that is amazing. Are you kidding me? Yeah, (laughs) right. Problem with it is this. Josephus wasn't a Christian. He was a Jew. So some of the stuff that's in this quote, uh, scholars for a long time have thought, he didn't say that. He couldn't right, have right. said that, right? He he says in, in this quote, he says things like, he was the Messiah. He appeared living again as the divine prophets had spoken. So he's saying he rose from the dead and that he's the Messiah. Why wouldn't this guy be a Christian if he agreed right. with those things? So uh, most scholars conclude that the, there's portions of this quote that were, were added later by a Christian who was trying to make it look like Josephus was adhering to a lot of these things. So they believe that these were added somewhere between the 2nd and the 4th century A.D. Uh, There was actually a scholar in 1972, and he discovered a uh, quote in in, um, a historian in Arabic that quoted this same passage, and it was missing a lot of this stuff that people think is created and made up by a, a Christian scribe somewhere along the lines. Now, All right. now, scholars do conclude that there still is an original statement here by Josephus about Jesus if you take away these extra things that were added that kind of uh, seem too crazy for him to say. So I'm going to remove the things that uh, were added and embellished and the Christianese that was put in here. And we'll hear the quote as it was originally put by Josephus. All right. So this is what Josephus actually said. At this time, there appeared Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of people who received the truth with pleasure. And he gained a following both among many Jews and among many of Greek origin. And when Pilate, because of accusations made by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him previously did not cease to do so. And up until this very day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not died out. Mm. So most scholars agree that's the original uh, writings of Josephus. So now think about what we get from that. From the two quotes of Josephus, we get Jesus lived. He had a brother named James. 
Uh, he was a wise man. He was a teacher of people. He got a huge following from Jews and from Greeks. Uh, he was condemned to death by Pilate, right? Uh, and that there are people following after him, and they kind of named themselves Christians following after him. Those are right. pretty. Those are pretty big attestations by an enemy, by a Jew who's working for the Roman government about who Jesus Christ is. And so, yeah. does that prove Jesus rose from the dead? No. But what does it no, prove? Right. Well, it proves that Josephus thought there was this guy Jesus who had lived, and if his dad had been a priest in Jerusalem. His dad might have actually had some interaction with Jesus during his trial and things like that. So this is just kind of a huge uh, uh, admittance to the existence of Jesus, his brother James, that he had followers, that Pontius Pilate was the guy who killed him. This is a really good source of information for us as Christians to say, look, somebody who's not a Christian talking about Jesus and the things of the New Testament at the time that they were written. So pretty cool stuff in Josephus. Right, right. And not only that, but we have other early Jewish writings that come from the Talmud, mm -hmm. which is what I was going to talk about next, is that the Talmud has writings uh, of including those about Jesus that were written somewhere between 70 and 200 AD. Mm -hmm. And during this time period, the most significant text that they wrote about Jesus that we get was found in the Sanhedrin 43a. Mm. Uh, now, I was going to read that really quick. It's very interesting. It says, On the eve of Passover, Yeshu was hanged. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald went forth and cried, He is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. Anyone who can say anything in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. But since nothing was brought forward in his favor, he was hanged on the eve of the Passover. Now, this passage is confirming the crucifixion and the timing of the events being before Passover. Yeah. Now, now that's, that's what we already get from Scripture, and we see that. But this is an early Jewish source of—and again, these were Jews. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. No. They, but yet they confirm, yes, Jesus, this Yeshua, was killed on the day before Passover. Yeah, so that that's interesting. Yeah, the same person at the same time, and they're explaining what happened. And they even mentioned, uh, I think they, yeah, they mentioned Pilate in it, and that saying that he was hanging on that on yeah. that day. So it's very interesting to see that uh, we have these sources predating uh, like early time between seventy to two hundred A.D., where it confirms Jesus was killed on the specific day. Yeah, well, and that, and that is interesting because it also talks about that he was trying to entice Israel to apostasy, right? And that is yeah, what they yeah, tried him for in the sure. New Testament. It's the same thing, right? He was claiming to be God, and that's what they couldn't stand. And so they told Pilate that he was claiming to be king. They didn't care if he was king. They actually wanted the Messiah to come and be the king, right? right but, yeah. but not that you're God. And so, yes, exactly what the New Testament claims is what you have the Babylonian Talmud claiming uh, from from the Jewish side of things, which again, that's called what enemy attestation. <laughs> that's yes, called right, right. agreement from the other side. So that's a huge deal, right? Yeah, that's a huge yeah. deal. We, we have tons of stuff like this, and so it's just super cool to see what's out there. 
It is. And so those are what would be called um, Jewish sources because Josephus was a Jew and he wrote Jewish histories, even though he was working for the Roman government. Uh, the Talmud obviously was written uh, by the Jews, uh, but we also have Roman references. All right. So let's move into talking about some of the Roman references. And one of the Roman references that we really want to hit on is the man by the name of Tacitus. So Tacitus lived between uh, about 56 AD and 120 AD. Okay. So he's was born right after 20, 20 some years after Jesus was killed. So Tacitus is regarded as one of the greatest, if not the greatest Roman historian ever. And he mentions Jesus once in his book Annals. And this was written around 116 to 117 AD. All right. So this is what Tacitus says. Therefore, to squelch the rumor, Nero created scapegoats and subjected to the most refined tortures those whom the common people called Christians, a group hated for their abominable crimes. Their name comes from Christ, who during the reign of Tiberius had been executed by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Suppressed for the moment, the deadly superstition broke out again, not only in Judea, the land which originated this evil, but also in the city of Rome. And that's Tacitus in Annals 15, verse 44. So uh, this is a crazy uh, admittance of the greatest Roman historian of what? Well, he says, number one, Jesus existed, right? And there's this group of people that Nero was trying to say were the scapegoats, and he started torturing them. Um, we know about this from other places. He he would cover Christians in in tree sap and he'd burn them as torches at his dinner parties. Um, and he, he says who this group of people was, right? They were uh, people and their name came from Christ who during the reign of Tiberius was executed under Pontius Pilate. Exactly right. what the New Testament says. Tiberius was the emperor. Pontius Pilate was a procurator in Jerusalem. It all adds up. Um, yes. I love, too, what he admits in the second half of that. He says not only was the superstition breaking out, you know, in the land of Judea, but also it's come to Rome, right? Yeah. Again, is that exactly what the New Testament said happened, that Paul and Peter and all the guys, they took Jesus seriously with the Great Commission, and they went out to all the world, including Rome, and they took the gospel. And there were Christians in Rome. That's why they wrote Paul wrote the book of Romans to the Christians in Rome. Uh, and so yeah. we have another admittance of and, and correlation of the things that the New Testament says happening with the greatest Roman historian ever, which is, again, another great piece of enemy attestation. Yes, yes. And the list just goes on, Robbie. It's great because we also have another source, a Roman source from Suetonius, who was chief secretary to Emperor Hadrian during 117 to 138. Now, two of these references that we get from him are very important on the facts about Jesus and the Christians and the early church. Mm -hmm. Uh, So because the Jews at Rome caused some continuous disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he expelled them from the city. And that's from Claudius 25. And then Mm -hmm. we have another source that says, after the great fire at Rome, punishments were also inflicted on the Christians, a sect of professing a new mischievous religious belief. And that's Mm -hmm. from Nero 16. And now what's crazy is you're seeing here that this guy, 
uh, Satunius, who was the chief secretary to Emperor Hadrian, he's reporting that these Christians are being kicked out of the city because they're causing disturbances. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, he also places a timestamp on this. He says after the great fire at Rome, punishments were also inflicted on the Christians, right? Yep. He's And it's interesting, too, because he's referring to this as a new and mischievous religious belief that's just spreading. And so you can see right here that this is another early attestation of saying that, like, people at the time were – there was a cultural movement going on about something. Yeah. And they were claiming that it was they were instigated by the life of Christus Christ. Yep. And so that's what's really interesting about this source. Yeah, it is interesting, man, and it correlates well with what Tacitus said about Nero yep. and what he was doing to uh, to the Jews. So yeah, Suetonius is interesting. I've heard now again. We always obviously we're Christians, so we have bias, right? But everyone has bias. Right. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I want to I want to say is I was reading a Bart Ehrman book and he's an agnostic, leaning atheist, non-Christian, and he was talking about uh, this Suetonius quote where he says uh, there were these disturbances instigated by Crestus, and he said it could be a misspelling of Christos of Christ. And he said, so that's very well, it could be. And he said, or there could just be a guy whose name was Crestus <coughs> who was causing problems. He's like, it could be that too. Um, and so, okay, we might give him that one. But the second one is 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 indisputable, right? Punishments inflicted right. on Christians, a sect professing a new and mischievous religious belief. Uh, and again, that correlates with what Tacitus says. So Suetonius for sure mentions uh, Christians and what was going on, just like what the New Testament talks about. Yeah. And, and this is what's interesting about the first one. Um, y- you read about um, Christians being expelled from the city of Rome. Yeah. In the New Testament, this happened to people. This happened to Priscilla and Aquila. They were expelled from Rome because Jews were getting kicked out because there was this disturbance between Christians and Jews. And the Romans were like, listen, we're just kicking everybody out. We're done with yeah, you. Right. Forget it. Uh, well, get so, out of here. Again, it correlates well with what happened in history and what happened uh, in the New Testament. Yeah, and it's so cool. It just, again, the list just keeps going. It's yeah, awesome. Let, let's, these- let's do a few more. So there's yeah. another guy named Thallus. Uh, Thallus wrote around 52 AD, but here's an important point. We do not have any of his works except there's a few fragmented citations that are preserved in other people quoting him. All right? So we can't say, oh, we have all of these Thallus' works. We don't. But we have other writers who quote him whose works preserved his work. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, of course. So this isn't from him. This is from somebody else quoting him. All right? So Julius Africanus was one of these guys, and he writes around 221, but he quotes Thallus, who wrote around 52, discussing the darkness that followed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So here is the quote. Again, this is from uh, Julius Africanus quoting Thallus. On the whole world, there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Thallus, in the third book of his history, calls, as appears to me without reason, an eclipse of the sun. Okay, so uh, 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 Julius Africanus says that Thallus, in his book, Histories, 
called this darkness an eclipse of the sun. So you have somebody who's not a Christian, Thallus, who doesn't want to admit that Jesus is God, saying, yeah, there was this like thing that happened and (laughs) things got dark. Again, exactly what the Gospel of Matthew talks about, which is really great. Yeah, right. And so uh, that's really interesting. And then on top of that, we have another source uh, from another historian, Pliny the Younger. Mm-hmm. And now this one's a, a, um, a direct source from his letters. And now uh, Pliny the Younger was a Roman author and administrator. And in a le- letter to the emperor Trajan in around roughly 112, Pliny describes the early Christian worship practices. Mm-hmm. Now, in these writings, it says they were in the habit of meeting on certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to do any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. Now, this passage confirms several New Testament references, and which is talking about the early church. It, it mentions the partaking of food, which was mm-hmm. uh, communion, a uh, gathering of church church people and believers to worship. Uh, He even says that these people were calling Christ as a God. That's how they were worshiping him as a God. And so this is an early attestation, again, of the church growing and spreading their worship styles and then also alternating between eating together and worshiping together while also talking about omitting from sin and uh, Mm -hmm. that process of sanctification, which is what the church is about. So he actually is describing the church for what it is in itself in this quote. And it's very early on around 112 AD. And so that's very interesting that we have further outside sources saying that there was a cultural movement going on. Yep. And then it's interesting because we have uh, Emperor Trajan replying to Pliny's letter and he gives these guidelines uh, for punishing Christians. Uh, This is what he says. Uh, No search should be made for these people. When they are denounced and found guilty, they must be punished with the restriction, however, that when the party denies himself to be a Christian and shall give proof that he is not, that is, by adoring our gods, he shall be pardoned on the ground of repentance, even though he may have formerly incurred suspicion. So uh, so Trajan writes back and says, listen, if, you, if we catch Christians doing this, but they'll bow down to our gods, we'll let them off the hook. <laughs> so right, we punish yeah. them unless they'll backtrack and come off the hook. So we have another um, admittance of, of their being Christians and what they're going to do and how they're going to punish them and coerce them to leave Christianity. Right, right. And so, and then with that too, uh, we, it goes on to, to something similar. We have another writing from Hadrian. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. And now this is a letter th- that uh, historian Eusebius records uh, from Emperor Hadrian. Around... Yeah, this is a lot like, this is a lot like the other one I was talking about with Thallus, right. where we don't question. have Hadrian's original, but we have Eusebius quoting Hadrian in his later letter. Exactly, yes. And now, so this is what we have right here. Uh, This is the quote from, it's called Ecclesiastical History 4.9. And so it says, I do not wish, therefore, that the matter should be passed by without examination so that these men may neither be harassed nor opportunity of malicious proceedings be offered to informers. 
If, therefore, the provincials can clearly evince their charges against the Christians so as to answer before the tribunal, uh, let them pursue this course only, but not by mere petitions and mere outcries against the Christians, for it is far more proper if anyone will bring an accusation that you should examine it. And so this passage that we have here, this text, is confirming that Christians in the early church were breaking early laws, they were punished, and there was some persecution going on. And so so it's kind of interesting to see uh, just this, again, the cultural movement, you're seeing oppression now happening, uh, talking about people coming out with petitions of saying, we don't like them. And that's actually, that's almost exactly what he says mm-hmm. in this quote, right? He says, uh, uh, um, but not by mere petitions and mere outcries against Christians. Uh, it's more proper if anyone will bring an accusation that you should examine it. Like you need to look into this. You can't just kick them out, persecute them because you don't yeah. like Right? And so that that's what's really interesting. We see that this is happening throughout history. Yeah, and people are writing it down because it actually occurred. Exactly, yes. And another guy that we want to talk about is Lucian of Samosata. Uh, he was a second century Greek writer, and in his writings, he wrote some sarcastic critiques of Christianity. And so yeah. I want to read to you uh, one of those quotes Uh, This is from the death of Pellegrine, uh, and it says, The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers— from the moment that they are converted, and deny the gods of Greece, and worship the crucified sage, and live after his laws. All this they take quite on faith, with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. Hmm. Now that's awesome. Like, like, what is he talking about? That Christians worshipped Jesus, right? That yeah. he taught them new things, this crucified sage, that they were all brothers, right? And, and as they believed, they became this family of God and that they shared their belongings. Uh, this, again, correlates perfectly well with what the New Testament says about the earliest Christians. Yes, yes. And, and then not only that, do we have all this stuff about early Christians, but uh, we have other resources about Jesus himself, too. We have this from uh, Marabar Seprian, who was a Syrian, who wrote to his son sometime between the late 1st and early 3rd century. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this letter contains an apparent reference to Jesus. Now, I'm going to read the quote directly. It says, What advantage did the Athenians gain from putting Socrates to death? Famine and plague came upon them as a judgment for their crime. What advantage did the men of Samon gain from burying Pythagoras? For in a moment, in their land was covered with sand. What advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? It was just after that their kingdom was abolished. God justly avenged these three wise men. The Athenians died of hunger. The Samians were overwhelmed by the sea. The, Jew, the Jews ruined and driven from their land, live in complete dispersion. But Socrates did not die for good. He lived on in the statue of Hera. Nor did the wise king die for good. He lived on in the teaching which he had given. Mm -hmm. Now, who do you think the wise king is there that he's referring to? Jesus, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and so it's referring this, to what happened in 70 AD when they were completely destroyed, right? Yes, that, yes, that that's the exactly. Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and everything. That's right. Yeah, so everything's wiped out, and they're saying, like, look, uh, what 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 did he leave behind? He left behind these teachings, and people are still talking about it today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was considered by many to be the king of Israel, which he mentions in the quote here. What advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king, mm-hmm. right? So so that's the thing. Like you see all these references here that are clearly pointing to Jesus. Yep. And uh, it's really fascinating. And this, this is directly to Christ, too. It's not just the church at large, but it's just uh, G- the person of Jesus and saying that he is being lived on through the teaching of his followers. So just super yeah. cool early text source that we have from it, an outside reference. Yeah, and, th- and that's important for us because a lot of times, you know, when, when skeptics come up to you and they ask, okay, <laughs> listen, you believe in the Bible because it says you should believe in it. That's a stupid reason to believe it, right? Like if I wrote a book right now that said, hey, believe in this, would you, right? I've had people ask me this. Yeah, I'd say no. Yeah, yeah. I'd say no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Um, but when, when, when asked, Hey, what other non-Christian or unbiased sources do you have about the things in the new Testament and the life of Jesus Christ and the life of the church? Uh, it's important for you guys to understand. We actually have stuff. We have all of the, these 10 that we just listed non-Christian sources that come from very early on in history that come from enemy attestation that all completely agree with what the new Testament said. Now think about this. None of these quotes that we, we shared with you say something like, uh, Jesus was stoned to death, not crucified. None of them right. come along and give a different theory as to what happened to him or to why the church started to grow. All of them corroborate exactly what the New Testament says about Jesus and about the start of the early church. There's no dispute here. There's no uh, uh, contradiction going on here. These only affirm that what the New Testament said in regards to the things here was true. And so, again, enemy attestation, it doesn't prove that uh, Jesus rose from the dead and that he's God, right? Right. What it proves is that something happened and this Jesus guy did did something to, to propel a group of people to follow him, to worship him, to die for him, to teach virtues, to not go along with what the Roman world wanted, even when they were being killed and being persecuted and being kicked out of Rome. Uh, yeah. So these really do help us establish some credibility for the New Testament. Now, this isn't our only argument. It's not the one knockdown, right. drag out fight. It's a cumulative argument of okay, do we have independent sources? Yes. Are they early? Yes. Is there internal evidence, like we looked at last week, internal evidence in the New Testament that shows us that they're early and that they're written by eyewitnesses? Yes. Do we have enemy attestation that points to the same things happening from a perspective of non Christians? Yes. All yes. of these things add up to, man, maybe the New Testament is reliable. Maybe it's somewhat credible, right? Yeah, right, right. And then with that, too, you get a lot of people, like you said it before, who might ask you that question and say, hey, like, do you just believe in the Bible just because it says that you need to believe it? Mm. Like, no, we're giving the reason we're bringing up this information for all of our followers and listeners is that we want you to understand, like, there is information out there that outside of the text itself that says, you know, the events that happened in here actually took place. And I think that that's crystal clear 
from the sources we've been reading right now. Uh, it's clear on some of the early uh, manuscript evidence that we have that we showed on the uh, episodes past couple weeks. Yeah. And there's just so much. And uh, we're barely scratching the surface here. And uh, that's the crazy part about this. Yes. And again, you'll get to see we're, we're not done with the series yet. We still have a few more episodes to go on this. But there's just so much content to be poured out onto the reliability in the New Testament that it just it's absolutely astounding. It is. I really think it is. I think it's a very, very credible source to to trust um, for multiple reasons. But hey, if, yeah. if you're interested in this subject of the non-Christian sources, a couple of books you should get. Uh, one of them is by Norm Geisler, and it's called The Baker Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics. And there is a, uh, a section in there called Jesus Non-Christian Sources. It is great. You should get it. So Baker, Baker Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics by Norm Geisler. And then a second book you should get is The Resurrection of Jesus, A New Historiographical Approach by Michael Lycona, where he goes in detail into these sources and how much credibility we can give the non-Christian sources when it comes to what they say about Jesus. So I'll put both of those uh, books in the show notes so you can go grab them if you want and you want to dive into this uh, topic a little bit more. But it's really important for us to know that Christians weren't the only people talking about Jesus in in the first and second century, right? There were other historians documenting this stuff. And I think that the question, too, we need to ask is, why did Jesus' followers write down these things and believe him and spread the gospel and start a movement of the church? Because you can't deny that they did that. The church is in Rome. We have all these Roman historians talking about it. Why is the church there? What was the thing that, that pushed it to move from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world? Uh, and I would submit, like we have in many past episodes, it has to be the resurrection, right, Tyler? Yes, yes. It makes so much sense. The The evidence for the resurrection is absolutely astounding. Like, like even we had uh, Dr. Gary Habermas come on our podcast not long ago. And uh, it, like he was talking about, too, like, like I remember, that he's saying that there's so much new stuff that he keeps hearing about yeah. that like he could write volumes on the new evidence that keeps arising out of the re- evidence for the resurrection and the evidence of Jesus's existence yep. and early New Testament manuscripts. The list just goes on and on and on. And so it does. Uh, well, and you know, I just thought of something, too, Tyler. If any, yeah. of, I, ha- I have this book with me right now. I'll, sh- I'll show it. If any of our listeners want to check out a non-Christian talking about the historical argument for Jesus. This is the book to get. Did Jesus Exist? The Historical Argument of Jesus and Nazareth by Bart Ehrman. He's not a Christian, but he goes through a lot of the sources that we just talked about to show, hey, yeah, Jesus actually yeah. existed as a historical person. Um, so like you said, man, there's just so much evidence for the New Testament and for Jesus. Um, Bart Ehrman obviously doesn't think the New Testament's as reliable as we do, but he doesn't think it's completely unreliable either. So this is the kind of stuff as Christians we got to be prepared for in our culture because people are skeptical and people don't want to just believe in fairy tales. And we don't believe in fairy tales. We can actually bring credible evidence to help people understand what's real, what the New Testament is, and how God used it to communicate truth to us and to people for the last 2,000 years, which is just awesome. Yes, yes. It's super exciting. 
uh, just seeing this mo- the Christian movement and the, uh, how there's just so much evidence that keeps piling up. Uh, we're, we're, and we're excited to keep unpacking it with you guys over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we are. You definitely don't want to miss uh, what we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks be- because one of the things that we're going to look at are, okay, so what old Greek manuscripts do we have as Christians? And how does that inform us that we can reconstruct what the originals actually said? And this is going to be fascinating because a lot of this stuff is kind of new material that's coming out. And uh, there's old arguments apologists have made that we need to update and we need to change a little bit uh, in light of some new evidence. So you're not going to want to miss those coming up. But hey, if this has been helpful to you and you've been encouraged through this podcast, we would really appreciate it. If you'd subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, if you'd share us uh, with your friends, share the videos, share the podcast, uh, but also if you'd go on and you would review us on Apple Podcasts, that would help us out a lot. Continue to reach more and more people uh, with the gospel and with truth and help equip Christians to be ready to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. So if you would do that, we would appreciate that uh, just so much. Yes, thank you so much. And then again, if you aren't following us on our social media accounts, go ahead and do that because we love to interact with everybody on a regular basis. Uh, In fact, we've done some giveaways on Instagram before too, so you want to make sure you're that. Uh, And then we are on Twitter now, so be sure to give us a follow on Twitter uh, for those of you who haven't heard about that. So we're super excited to be moving in that direction. Yep, definitely. Well, hey, thanks so much for being with us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. And hopefully Tyler and I will be back in person together next week. We'll see you guys then. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.